0: Greetings, glorious humans, gentle ladies, lad men, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Devolver Digital forecast here at forecast.devolverdigital.com. Hello, I am your co-host, Robbie, and this week I am alone. Unfortunately, uh, JM is very busy this week um, doing various bits and pieces behind the scenes here at Devolver, so uh, you're stuck with me. And... You stuck with me for not only because jm isn't here but also because the uh developer that i was hoping to invite onto our uh podcast at some point unfortunately um he uh lives in japan um which makes uh sinking time zones uh between japan uh the west coast uh, of america and london Uh, It's pretty difficult for all of us to uh, be in the same place at the same time. Um, So uh, his name is Thomas Olsen. Uh, He is the big-brained developer, artist, animator, composer uh, behind OLEA, which we launched last week uh, for PC, PS4, Xbox and uh, Switch. Um, And it's great. Uh, If you've not had a chance to check it out, uh, I recommend that you do. (laughs) And uh, hopefully this podcast might um, encourage you uh, even further. So um, what I have done or what Thomas has done uh, is uh, provided me with some uh, really nice uh, information and some backstory, um, about who he is, his, um, uh, his, uh, background in games, uh, the team at Skeleton Crew, and what Aaliyah is, uh, where it came from, and, uh, why it was such a special project for him, uh, to make, and, uh, yeah, maybe give you a little bit of an idea about, um, what the game is and, and what why we found it so special because it it was a game that kind of took us all a little bit but i surprise it just sort of dropped into our inbox and it's a, one of those instances where we all got around to playing it it was quite a short demo but it was really well finished it was well polished and we all ended up playing it and we all just kind of were like yeah there's something about this game like it's really really good um so, yeah, I'll tell you a little bit about that as well. In the meantime, um, what can I tell you about what's been going on for me this week? Well, um, we're still in lockdown here in the UK. So uh, there's not been very much for me to do other than sit at my desk and work. Um, but I did watch Unforgiven. uh over the weekend with my girlfriend who had never seen it before uh Unforgiven uh is uh, the first film why am i telling you this it's the first film directed by Clint Eastwood um that he also starred in and he won an oscar for it um i know this because i was reading the <laughs> the trivia on imdb this morning uh what when i woke up uh don't ask uh, you didn't you didn't ask uh, i'm just telling you anyway anyway unforgiven um it's a cowboy movie and uh it's great it's so good. If you've not seen Unforgiven, go and watch it. It's brilliant. I'm also reading um Ma- Mindhunter at the moment which is uh you've probably you might be familiar with the TV series that's on Netflix. I think it's been cancelled now. But it was really cool. It's about um this uh experimental unit um that was uh that was put together in the sort of uh, in the seventies, late sixties and early seventies called the behavioral science unit, I think they were called. And um, they basically profiled serial killers. So they, they, they learned how to kind of figure out uh, the type of people that um, commit certain types of crimes, specifically kind of serial killers and uh it's really good. Uh the book is by a man called John Douglas who uh I guess he he created the behavioral science unit or whatever headed it up for for years and the the series is kind of based on uh on on that on that book. Um but it's so good. So if you love a bit of uh serial killer um shenanigans and who doesn't uh then go and read Mindhunter. It's pretty good. Um, I don't know if we've had an opportunity to talk about this recently on the podcast, but I have obviously been playing a lot of Hitman 3. Uh, I finished it. Uh, I finished the main, I uh, just kind of like, w- whenever I play a Hitman game, I like to uh, just play through kind of the the cookie cutter, uh, uh, the theatrical uh, story lines that it kind of serves up to you when you first start to play it so if you've never played a hitman game before uh what it will do is an open each level is a sandbox and you can uh tackle your uh assignment in different ways but generally when you play through the story mode what it will do is it'll kind of early on in each level um it'll give you kind of a heads up on what like the main kind of uh story mission that will kind of like play out one set of events that is really i guess kind of like their their showcase for that level their showcase assassinations for that level so you play through that and then you've done the level and you've kind of gotten like the best uh the best version I suppose of of how they've scripted it to all tie into the story and everything like this but then after that you can just play it however you please. So I've finished Hitman 3 uh by doing the main kind of story quests and then uh now I'm go- I've gone all the way back to the first game um and I'm playing them all, all over again. And I will probably continue to do so for a long time yet. Uh certainly while we're still in lockdown. Anyway, uh Enough of my musings for the beginning of this week's show. Uh, Let's crack on. Uh, So here's a little bit about Olya. I'm going to be talking uh, about... I'm going to be describing the questions and giving the answers all in my own voice. Uh, But just pretend that when I'm answering, I'm a very nice French man that lives in Japan. Uh, And here we go. Okay, so um, I gave you a little bit of context already, but the the premise of this podcast is basically that I uh, sent some questions over to Thomas. Um, ostensibly, it was going to be for uh, for use in a blog that um, never came to pass, um, so you're getting a little bit of an exclusive here. Um, I sent some questions over to Thomas, he answered them uh, very, uh, in a very detailed way, and um yeah, I just thought it would be fun to uh share with you guys and um and you can all learn a little bit more about Aaliyah. Uh for something separate uh Thomas also sent me some audio recordings which I'm going to uh include here. Um just so you can uh hear Thomas talking about his game instead of me. Uh far more interesting, I'm sure. But the first question I asked was uh what were you doing before you began working on Aaliyah? So Thomas said that before Aaliyah, uh Skeleton Crew was working on a brawler called Backslash. Uh it's a solo dev game released by Skeleton Crew Studio. Uh, I figured out lots of things about how I wanted combat to feel in a game and I realized that I wanted to try something more personal, slow and intimate uh, that throws solo players into an immersive adventure. So yeah, effectively uh, I've not seen Backslash, I've not played it, um, but that's where Thomas kind of uh, decided there and then that he wanted to do something that was um, a bit more considered. So then I asked, where did the idea for Aaliyah come from? And Thomas said, there's a lot from various movies, games or books that I liked. But the very first idea was Faraday and Aaliyah, Uh, not the harpoon or the world itself. So the, the characters were his initial focus. I first imagined them while traveling in Korea a few years ago more generally speaking the experience of living in japan and traveling around in asia slowly made its way into the game part of my brain Aaliyah probably has a lot to do with that feeling of being an outsider very far from home so thomas uh moved to J- thomas is from france and he moved to japan uh, to be with his wife um and yeah i think that whole experience kind of uh really colored uh, his, uh, his idea for the story in the game. So he continues, Back in Kyoto, I started working on Aaliyah with all these feelings and ideas. I half knew I wanted to explore these themes, but I was not sure how, so I started filling the blanks with much more conventional things that I naturally enjoy making. Action, tension,
1: exploration, and Darkness. Olya has various inspirations, but one of the core ideas was to have players feel like they're lost in a wild and unknown world. By contrast, I wanted friendly encounters like the boatman, or Olya herself, to feel warm and richer. Conventional aspects like action and exploration are like they are because I just love to make them, and it felt like a natural direction to take.
0: I asked how did you come up with the stories and characters? Most of Aaliyah's characters fit in common character archetypes that I always liked. Faraday was inspired by musketeers and swashbuckling characters, and his rather low-key personality is not just for immersive purposes, it's a trait that I just like in general. The Boatman is a typical mentor, but also a protector. At first, he was a very secondary character, but I quickly realised that his presence was essential. I wanted players to feel that he's got their back. When you call him, he shows up with his raft no matter where or when. As for Aaliyah, I'm not sure what exactly inspired her, but it took a lot of work to make her feel right through her attitudes, action and role in the story. I remember that at some point I focused on making her feel slightly unreal, as if her aura was so special that one could question her very existence. And when you play the game, that definitely comes across. She has changed a lot over the development, but her wordless relationship with Faraday was a thing from the very beginning. Making connections with people despite differences and language barriers, there is a certain mystique to that. And, of course, uh, something that Thomas knows intimately. (laughs) Like, that's something that he experienced um, uh, living in Japan.
1: I call the story instinctive because there is no such thing as a writer's vision or process behind it. It's been built around scenes I wanted to make early, such as the Olia encounters, but also through some game constraints. What I think is pretty obvious is that when the game starts, Faraday doesn't really know what he's supposed to do. And that was very true for me too when I started making the game. Uh,
0: were you inspired by any other games made by solo developers? Um, or certainly small teams? Thomas said definitely another world. Uh, the game itself is stunning and inspiring but its development is also one of the most inspiring dev stories I know. There is a 20-minute making of video of Another World Somewhere Out There. Uh, If I can find the link for that, actually, I'll drop it in the chat. Drop it in the chat. I'll drop it in the description. Uh, He carries on. When I watched it for the first time, I was blown away by Eric Chahi's process, but also his calm, creative strength. Then, looking at the amount of work, I thought... Eric Chai made it back then with all these old tools. With all the great tools we have nowadays, there is literally no excuse not to make my own game. Uh, <laughs> Thomas does then say that that turned out to be a pretty naive consideration. <laughs> Uh, The real challenge didn't have much to do with the tools I used, especially since Skeleton Crew had my back for technical issues. The really hard part was to figure out what I wanted to do and how to do it as
1: well and as consistently as possible. The video game Another World had a very strong influence, but there's a bit of everything else. Movies like The New World, Pirates of the Caribbean, Hong Kong martial art movies, Japanese animation, There's also books like The Card of Monte Cristo.
0: What was it like working alone, at least until you got help from Skeleton Crew to finish the game? Um, Thomas says, It was very tough. I sometimes found myself in dark places, lost in a fog of vague ideas and doubt. Working alone is not hard just because of the raw amount of work that you have to do. The hardest part is that you don't get to output our ideas and concepts as much in a, as you do in a team effort. Uh, a lot of his output comes from notebooks, drawings, uh, law books, but notebooks don't talk back. Solo development, game design in particular, can get very frustrating at times. You can get stuck in what seem to be dead ends because of your tunnel vision. I ended up understanding that it was probably getting too personal. Accepting the game's flaws and scars was essential to find peace and finish it. I remember when, the transi- I remember when that transition happened, uh, it was very freeing to just let go, give up on changing any design stuff and just focus on polishing it. Regarding the help that I got, the game's core development was, was solo, but it does not mean that the project was. Skeleton Crew's work was essential to carry it on the technical side. Uh, Russell, the lead tech, didn't just make Janky (laughs) O'Lear a reality with his team. He also spent long nights playing through the game with me to figure out what was left. At some point, he also started hiding secret coins in the game. At first, he even made sure I couldn't find them from the level editor. I liked that and polished it a bit, and these eventually became the boats in a bottle. Uh, Then, there's a lot of diverse people from all around the world, games industry related or not who participated, tested the game, introduced us to key persons or encouraged or encouraged us. And of course, there's Devolver. On top of making sure Aaliyah gets noticed, Devolver put a lot of time, resources and energy to help us make Aaliyah a better game. The new breath of hope they brought us was a turning point in its development. The work vibes completely changed. It was still hard work, but we knew it was worth it. And I promise I didn't write that. These are Thomas' own words. Promise. I did not write that. But it was very nice of him to say that. And he's too modest. It wasn't janky. His initial uh, prototype was really good. <laughs>
1: the hardest part of Odia was the lack of perspective, especially with game design. I feel like communication is essential to identify and solve problems. As a solo dave, I didn't get lots of chances to do that. Sometimes it was like taking a long walk in the dark. All you can do is just keep walking and hope you'll find your destination. Eventually, I decided that it was enough for thinking, that I had to accept the game design's flaws and start polishing, and from then, it was much funnier. Uh, how did you
0: come up with its unique art style? Uh, Thomas admits constraints. Aaliyah is just the best I could do. Lots of decisions were made following what I can't do or what I enjoy drawing. Sometimes I would draw a house that looks okay and more detailed than usual, but it wouldn't fit in so well. So I'd just make make it look as bad, quote unquote, as the rest. I don't think the game has to be pretty, it just has to be coherent. It's interesting to see how diverse the reactions of players are. Some people say it looks gorgeous, others say it looks terrible. I like that. I slowly came to realise that what really interested me was movement. So characters were made with key purposes, highlight highly contrasted to stand out and very simple in colour and shape for animating. So much can be delivered through animation. And if you watch any of the uh, trailers or you play the game, that really comes across. Uh, It's not a game that kind of uh, says a lot when it's static. Um, but when it's in motion and really crucially when you play it uh, that the way the characters move is so well done and it really kind of gives it a life of its own i think it's a really unique game
1: man. it really is my intention was never to make a retro game i used pixel art for different reasons I like the things they don't say, for example, leaving free space for players to imagine faces or textures. Olea's pixel style is particularly rough looking to simplify the animation process. It allowed me to experiment and implement animation easily. Pixel art is a thriving movement with lots of subcategories. It can be used for many different reasons. On top of what I mentioned before, I guess that pixel art can offer interesting constraints, which helps focusing during the creative process. There is also nostalgia, of course.
0: So, uh, as I mentioned before, Thomas not only uh, designed and developed conceived and animated the game himself he also composed the music so i asked him uh is that something you always wanted to do thomas says it's probably my favorite thing music sounds and rhythm were deeply rooted inside the process i don't have any hard knowledge or technique like actual composers or sound designers so i just do it quick and dirty with my guts <laughs> i like that in really, On really good days, I'd start working on a track or dig into sound libraries uh, to make a crate impact sound. Once edited and implemented, that impact sound makes me want to add physical debris. Then I realise these wood pieces are falling and they need sounds too. Then I try to put that wood sound into the music and I end up being like, what if the bass line could destroy crates beyond certain frequencies and I realise it's 7am and the sun rises. <laughs> I could talk about this for hours, but the whole audio thing is an entire engine. It thrusts the game development forward. Sounds illustrate so many things eyes don't get. They truly can make you feel things. And I think that's another important thing to articulate with a game like Aaliyah, particularly when people are discussing how the game looks, because the way the game feels when you play it is... um, that's a really important trait to consider and uh sometimes that gets a little bit lost and sound design can often be really uh, harshly overlooked i think um this is me talking now not thomas but i'm pretty sure we share the same uh opinion on that um so next time you play a game pay special ac- attention to the to the way it sounds um and how the music interacts and uh and complements the things that you do. Then on that theme, I asked, what inspired your musical style? And Thomas said, hip-hop, movies, games, uh, traditional music, lots of different things. Um, Matt Ullman's work on Diablo 2 was always a huge inspiration for me. That soundtrack is a true masterpiece. The way it melts acoustic instruments inside old-school effects without altering their natural power is a pure lava infusion. Ooh, I'm also really into flamenco and Japanese enka. I'm not a connoisseur, but certain tracks or pieces strike me, and I just listen to them over and over again. I listen to a lot of Francisco Tarrega, uh Capriccio Arabe, and Adelita while making Olia. What I came up with is not half as rich as that classical music, but it contributed to make, uh, to make me travel a bit, and it definitely inspired a
1: scene or two. The pacing of the game and its story took a long time, really. Lots of fine-tune, experimentation, lots of ideas didn't work out because of the game format. I often had to change the narrative for what felt like a nicer game pacing. I don't have much experience with the game narrative and it was a very hard thing to, to make it feel right.
0: What has been the best part about collaborating? Lore and story conversations with David Taco, the cover artists, were priceless. And his cover art, key art, um, is not just a great interpretation, it actually extends the game's universe. There's so much detail, life and expressions going on within that single piece. Then my friend Daisuke, showing up one day with his saxophone and freestyle on Aaliyah was also one of the ups of the game's development. He came to my place with beers and we talked about the game. Then I gave him vague instructions. He turned the mic on and played an Aaliyah scene in-game. He played his saxophone on top of it. After 30 minutes or so, it's wrapped up. Each of my brothers, Maxime and Emmanuel Olsen, made a track for the game. Wow, I didn't even know this until just now. Um, working with them is fun because we don't even have to discuss the style or anything. They know exactly what I'm into and I barely had to ask for any changes. I really want to make a game with a team next and share that adventure with others.
1: Olia is just Olia's name. I wouldn't mind asking her if I could. And uh, the
0: last thing. Thomas was, what have you learned about making games by yourself? Lots of things. I grew up with that game. It's a considerable part of my life. I learned that spending three years literally thinking about an imaginary world that you are the only one to know can be very alienating. I learned that at some point you have to let go, accept the flaws of both the game and the person making it. I learned that three years is a lot of time And that overthinking can take you to dark places. But lastly, I learned that there's no need to worry. That it's just a game. And I think that's a nice note to end on. This is a short podcast this week, guys. Uh, I'm apologize uh, that I couldn't bring you something more comprehensive this week um, but as I say uh, we're all pretty busy uh, which we're very thankful for um, but uh, it does mean that this week's podcast uh, is uh, a little bit more of a stopgap between uh, proper episodes of the forecast in the meantime, uh, please get yourself on over to uh, the Devolver Digital Discord. Um, plenty of fun and games going on in there, and you can join the forecast channel and uh, chat with me and JM and all the other listeners, um, which is fun. Uh, you can follow Devolver Digital at Devolver Digital on Instagram and Twitter, and uh, you can subscribe to this podcast on all of your favourite audio streaming platforms uh, like Stitcher and Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts and all of those cool places uh, if you can leave us reviews, like, share subscribe, all of those great things uh, that would be fantastic and go buy Aaliyah and play it <laughs> and let us know what you think uh, it's super cool and uh, we will both return next week for lots more forecasts. All right. Peace out, y'all. Bye.